Welcome to the Day Luna Human Design Podcast, where we discuss all things human design and how it can support you and your spiritual journey. This is not a one-size-fits-all podcast. We are here to inspire awareness about how we are all different and help you answer the questions of who am I? What am I here to do? How am I here to do it? You can thrive and live the life of your dreams just by having awareness of your true self. So dive deep with us, get inspired, and start living your life on purpose. Hello, and welcome to the Day Luna Human Design Podcast with your hosts, Shayna and Dana. We are interviewing someone today who is an incredible expert on nervous system health and somatics and how we store trauma in our physical bodies and how that actually impacts our physical health. So this is something that's been super interesting to us over the last few months. Um, We've both been really diving into healing our physical bodies and and how that's different than human design and how it kind of complements and um, helps you take things to like an even deeper, deeper cellular level um, with using human design. Because obviously Dana and I are obsessed with human design and human design is so helpful in um, exploring your life purpose and knowing what your gifts are and getting out of your own way and knowing what your conditioning is that might be holding you back in life. Um and how you can best honor your energy. But then there's this whole other deeper layer of our physical bodies and our fight or flight system and how we go to um, respond to the world around us on a physical level. And when we've had trauma or when we've had grief or when we've had hardships in our lives, how that trains us on a physical level and how that impacts our nervous system. So we've both been kind of diving into exploring more about this and it's very complex. So our guest today, her name is Irene Lyon and she is incredible. We really think you guys are going to enjoy this episode and it'll just bring a deeper sense of understanding in kind of a way we haven't explored yet before on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are super excited to share her wisdom with you guys. Um, and it it's something that, you know, if you're doing your human design, if you're living your strategy and authority, and you still feel like I have these kind of lingering anxieties, or I have some kind of like lingering problem with my hormonal system, or I'm not able to lose weight, or like, there's just kind of something off. And I've been using my strategy and authority, and that's really helped. But I still feel like there's this deeper layer. This might be a really powerful and illuminating episode for you guys. Yes, which I personally have been experiencing with, you know, a lot of you guys know listening, my dad passed away a year ago, almost exactly to the day, two Mm -hmm. days from now, it'll be a year. And, um, it's interesting because I've done breath work and I've done a lot of different healing modalities to help me with grieving. And there's this part of my body that I've been listening to and observing and trying to have a deeper awareness and understanding of, of not letting me break down or not letting me crack open or not letting me fully grieve 
Um, and I know that that's kind of silly to say fully grieve because grieving is something that takes a lot of time. And, um, it's not just like something that you want to get over or get through because there's nothing wrong with grieving. Grieving is a beautiful, um, and painful and necessary process when you do lose someone. But the thing that I've been, um, needing to put language to is the, this amount of, um, anxiety that's been coming out recently and this feeling of being easily overwhelmed, something will happen and I'm just so overwhelmed or my anxiety just kind of avalanches down. And my body is kind of in this state of, um, feeling like I need to survive or, that I'm under attack or that I'm going to die while my mind is, is completely saying like, you're fine, you're safe, you're in your home, you're in your body, you're okay. And so there's, there's been this deeper layer that I'm like, okay, what, I don't have language for this. What is this? It's something deeper. It's something physical. It's in my subconscious body. And how do I access that? And of course, with human design, human design gives you language. And it gives you the tools to navigate your energetic body. So I, I was feeling this call of like, okay, someone, something out there knows this language and can help me put language to what I'm feeling. So, um, of course, just how the universe brings us everything, Irene popped up in our inbox and was saying, you know, just like an invitation to explore this topic. And I didn't even realize until more recently that this is exactly the conversation um, that I was needing to kind of explore this a little bit deeper. So I'm excited to share this episode with you guys. And hopefully it sparks some curiosity in diving into your own subconscious healing on a physical level. I keep saying physical because so much of healing that we hear is in this mental or emotional place. But but we don't talk so much about these automatic responses that have been conditioned into us from such a young age, from when we were babies. So that's what this conversation is all about. So hopefully it resonates with you guys and we're excited to bring her on. And without further ado, let's welcome on our guest today, Irene Lyon, nervous system expert. Hello, Irene. Thank you so much for coming on to our show. How are you doing today? I'm good. You too. I'm good. Thanks for inviting me. It's good yes. to meet new faces and yeah. voices. <laughs> yeah. We're super excited to have you on and to have you share a little bit of wisdom with our listeners about the nervous system, because it's something that we've really been called to on our own personal journeys as we transform and heal and step into our purpose. There's always kind of these new layers of conditioning that come up, these new layers of things that are kind of stuck in our body. Um, so we're super yeah. excited to learn from you and, and hear all of your amazing wisdom. And I guess right off the, the bat, if you could kind of introduce yourself to our audience, like what is it that you guide people with and teach? Yeah, it's a long story, but in a nutshell, I'm calling myself these days a nervous system expert, a somatic practitioner, really focused on the power of neuroplastic healing sequencing. So making sure that we go into healing work, um, transformation work in a way that's sequenced so that we actually make it, make it stick. And um, I got into this work kind of by accident in my early 20s um, through some injuries through my sport and had some knee problems, knee surgeries, and got really interested in the human system and 
how to help it, how to recover it, how to rehabilitate it. And I won't get into all the gory details, but one thing led to another. And it, it was very clear that what I had been trained in as an exercise physiologist and fitness trainer and rehab specialist, that was my 20s, wasn't even helping me recover my own body, hmm. which was really weird. Like, oh, I just spent all this time and money, well, my parents' money, um, going to university <laughs> and learning how to help people in that level. And then I had this injury and I was recovering with physical therapy and even everything I had learned wasn't helping. So I kind of had this something's missing kind of moment. Mm -hmm. Even my physical therapist was like, we're missing something. And that's what led me to learn more about in-depth mind-body work, how to really um, not only slow things down, but relearn how our patterns are and not just prescribe a rote document. This is what you do no matter what, every day, three times a day, like just recognizing, well, I'm having a huge deja vu right now, recognizing <laughs> the complex, the complexities of the human system and that we can't really prescribe a one size fits all in the manner that we have so far. And the reason I say that is now when I work with my clients and students um, in the online programs that I do, and I still do some group stuff um, as well um, in person, um, while we are still giving people the same information and the same exercises and the same practices, how we're framing it is very different. And so I got into the work that I'm doing like today in this moment um, in 2020, that's when we're recording this, um, because the work I went into even after my exercise science world um, was still not enough, even though I got better with more neuroplastic based techniques, um, it still wasn't deep enough. And then that's what led me to learning about trauma, the nervous system, um, the need to regulate the nervous system and how so many of us, if not all of us in Western society, humanity, we're, we're holding on to stuff that we often don't even know we are. Yeah. So that's kind of a very different way of saying, this is who I am, this is what I do. Um, Right now, most of what I do is online. Um, it is my programs. Um, I was in private practice for, gosh, for over 10 years at some at one point. And then it just became very clear that that model of working one-on-one, -on -one, while I liked it and I was very good at it, um, it was leaving a lot. You know, it was leaving a lot of the important pieces um, off the table. And so I started to create these courses so that people could learn not just how to work with their systems, but why they need to work with their systems and the, the underpinnings of the science and the theory and kind of everything that I have, not everything, but I try to teach my students as much as I can what I learned when I was in school. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's amazing. And I love, I love your story. And I love that this is something that kind of came into your life so organically. And then you felt this fuel mm -hmm. and passion to educate people because so much of what we're passionate about is understanding that we're kind of moving into this new paradigm, all of us, where yes. we're really understanding that each one of us are individuals. And also we're understanding that we're not just this mechanic mechanism. We have all of this subtle energy mm -hmm. that is so powerful and intrinsically mm -hmm. connected to the way that we operate in this life. So I love that you're kind of being one of the leaders in educating people mm -hmm. and understanding these deeper things that are have always been a part of us, but we just really yeah. didn't have the awareness or the tools. So 
Can you kind of walk us through the nervous system is so complex and obviously we remember a little bit from school and things like that, but most of us really don't understand what it is. So what, what is the nervous system? Yeah. So there's a few parts to it. So, um, when I, for simplicity's sake, will just say, you know, I'm, I'm someone who works at the level of the nervous system. And then of course, when you get in and you start doing the work, you realize there's more than one. So, um, Everyone has a body mm-hmm. <laughs> and within that body, there is um, a central nervous system and then there's a peripheral nervous system. So that's the first like number one educational piece, central and peripheral. Central nervous system is the brain and the spinal cord. And the spinal cord is what comes out of the brain through the brain stem. It goes all the way down to our tail. And it obviously is our spinal cord, which is protected by the vertebra. And it's kind of, you know, one of those things where if you have a spinal cord injury, it's not a good thing. As we know, if you have a brain injury, it's also not a very good thing. So there, that central nervous system is super important. And it's almost kind of like, not that it's untouchable, but it's very kind of sacred within the system. And then we have the peripheral nervous system. Periphery, as it sounds, is the peripheral, you know, peripheral vision, seeing outside. And so it's all of the nerves that funnel out of the central nervous system. Following me so far? Yeah. Cool. And so the peripheral nervous system, part of that is the autonomic nervous system. And another part of that we would call the somatosensory motor nervous systems. So like I've got a cup of tea here, I've got a cup of water, I've got all my liquids, I've got some coffee also. So I just did all that because I'm a skilled human being right? And if you've got glasses of something in front of you, you, I could say, Hey, Dana, pick up your, whatever you have and take a sip. Like you would hear it. The motor sensory parts of you would know how to do that. And like, I'm picking this up and it's kind of lukewarm. If it was scalding hot, I would feel it immediately. And so my senses are relaying something to the brain saying hot, don't touch it or touch it very, very carefully blow on it, that kind of thing. So It's interesting because we don't usually think about these things just second nature. But if you Mm -hmm. think about an infant or a child, they don't know that and they learn, Mm. right? It's like hot stove, don't touch. Like they don't know that until they touch it, right? Um, So back to the peripheral nervous system, you've got the somatosensory motor, which I just kind of described that executive, I want to do something and I do it. Then we have the autonomic nervous system and that is what I'm really interested in. That is, then has two other functions. So there's all these branches. The autonomic nervous system is responsible for, if I take this sip of tea, or if you take a sip of water, you don't have to think about that water moving down your esophagus into your stomach. You don't have to think about the valves opening to let it into that digestion. Our hormones are released when we eat something, you know, sugary or anything. It doesn't have to be sugar. It releases insulin. So that all that stuff. So the autonomic nervous system governs all of those automatic things like digestion, immune system. If I cut myself, you know, or if I have a, a bug bite or something, I have a reaction. The system puts in an attack force to help that. Um, so that is very important. But the other thing that the autonomic nervous system 
call it sometimes the ANS for short. I might start saying that. Mm -hmm. So the ANS is also responsible for the fight, flight, and freeze responses. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people know fight, flight, like the tiger is chasing you and you're freaking out and you need to like run from the tiger, which isn't the best example for humans because that rarely happens to us like that. (laughs) Um, But in the wild, you know, animals are being chased by other animals and they go into a fight, flight reaction, they run or they attack. And then of course, in the wild, one of two things happen, you get the food, and you have dinner or you are the dinner, right? So there's also a hierarchy out there. So the human being, us, we have got also that fight, flight, freeze patterns as other animals do as well. Where it gets interesting is that our fight, flight, freeze patterns, we need them, right? Like if I'm cutting vegetables at my kitchen uh, counter and I'm wearing bare feet, which I normally do in the house, and the big knife drops to the floor, I'm going to jump back. Mm -hmm. That reflex is that system saying danger. It goes to that central nervous system, does the little messaging, uh, contract the muscles, jump back, et cetera, et cetera. So we need that. But the interesting thing with that autonomic nervous system, the fight flight is, as I mentioned, it also governs the digestion, the immune system, the hormonal system, the cardiovascular system, the pulmonary system, the lymphatic system, all of the systems, the brain system. If we're stuck, if we get stuck in fight, flight, freeze, and we can dive into that in a bit. And if we have what we would call trapped survival stress in our system, which is my definition of trauma, Mm. stuck in the system, And if we're always in that fight, flight, freeze pattern, it then impacts the ability for the autonomic system, autonomic nervous system to govern the digestion, the heart, the immune system, the fluid balances, temperature regulation, or even our spidey senses get thrown off when we have a lot of fight, flight, because we're just not a good regulation baseline for a human system. So back to the top, there are many nervous systems. There's the central nervous system, brain, spinal cord, and then there's there's the peripheral nervous system with that motor sensory. I can pick up my glasses of water and know they're not hot. And then there's the fight, flight, freeze portion of the autonomic nervous system that keeps us safe. So that it attacks, you know, if there's a danger, we might attack it, fight. If we realize that that danger is too big, we might flee. And then if we realize we can't do either or, we then shut down and go into kind of like a numb shock state so that we don't feel the pain of the kill. Now, that's really oversimplistic Mm -hmm. because humans have variation because of our complex human brain and culture and all the things that we've been conditioned, engineered to hold in and suppress, which we'll get into, no doubt. Um, the other thing I'll say about the nervous system, some people will ask, well, what about the, the enteric nervous system? That's the gut. For me, the gut nervous system, the vagus nerve is part of the peripheral nervous system. It is a, it is a cranial nerve. It is a, it is the parasympathetic. That's the enteric nervous system, which is the gut. Um, people tend to separate it, but it's like, no, it's all part of the same thing. So that is nervous system 101. Wow. That is so fascinating. I love how you break it down in such, it's so complex. I mean, it and it's crazy. It, how, isn't, it isn't, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> it isn't, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how 
the, all of those things are happening and we're not even aware of them because we're thinking about our text messages and our emails. And like the majority of people just have no idea that all of these things are happening in their body, but it is, it is the way that your body functions and it is the way you experience life. Amazing. Yeah. So with this, with this trauma that you were talking about of trapped survival stress in your body, mm-hmm. why, why are we getting that trapped in, in, in this modern time? There's a few reasons. <laughs> so to, to answer that story, I'm going to go back to the beginning. So mm-hmm. when we're born as humans, we are not fully functional. Mm-hmm. And anybody that's had a baby knows that, right? You can't just leave that, that infant alone and hope that it figures it out. It just won't. Mm-hmm. It's not like um, in the wild, you know, animals that sometimes come out of mama and they're like, you know, deer, they're up on their feet within minutes. Sure, if they were under attack, they would probably be taken. But our level of sophistication is so high that when we come out of the womb, we are um, not dysregulated. That is possible if mama had a lot of stress. So that's like a whole other story in itself. But let's just say we were cooked properly. She wasn't totally stressed out. She, you know, the partner that she was with wasn't abusive. She had time to rest and she wasn't working seven jobs and feeding other kids and all these things. So let's just say baby comes out and is fairly healthy. Even a healthy baby does not have the capacity to self-regulate. If a healthy baby comes out in their full term, their digestion is working, right? Their urinary system is working. They're pooping, they're peeing, um, their lungs are working. They can breathe on their own. Their heart is beating, but their immune system isn't working yet. Their cognitive ability isn't working yet. Their motor skills, like I showed you with my cup of water, ain't working yet. That takes months, right? And months. And the, the cognitive takes years, right? And so baby comes out. They need to learn how to find self-regulation and know what's going on in this crazy complex system via what's called co-regulation with the primary caregiver. It doesn't have to be mom. It usually is. It could be a grandma, a babysitter, a nanny, as long as it's a healthy human that knows how to connect and attune to that little one. So let's just say baby gets good attunement, good connection when she cries, attended to, fed, changed rocked um, when they want to engage. The adult is there to engage with them so that they learn that social connection. They see the facial expressions, all those things. When they're tired and they look away, parent is like, okay, they've had enough. They've hit threshold. Give them a moment to rest. That is what teaches. It's this dance, right? Between mama or caregiver and little human infant that's immature. That builds their self-regulation, through the co-regulation. If we have a really good first three years of life where we're given what we need and we're allowed to express when we need to cry, when we start to show healthy aggression as an infant, which is often missed in most humans in the Western world, again, this is like the utopic version. If that happens, that little person grows up to be a very resilient child or toddler, child, preteen, teen, They know how to express themselves. They know how to regulate things that feel scary. They don't freak out. They might cry. They might scream, but they're not going off the wall. When we have that, our ability to to experience a traumatic event like a car accident or a broken bone 
or the loss of a dog or a pet or, or whatever, while it might be intense, it's not going to crack us open and put us into post-traumatic stress. Does that make sense? Yeah. We've built enough, we've built what we call self-regulation so that we can withstand a lot of stuff and come back to regulation. Doesn't mean we're not going to feel pain. Doesn't mean we're not going to cry and maybe go into a little bit of sadness or grief if someone dies, but we'll kind of come back. So that would be like scenario perfect, right? Mm -hmm. That's good. Then there's a scenario where we don't get that nurture. Mm-hmm. where mom maybe doesn't know how to attune to us because she can't even attune to herself. As simple as mom doesn't even know how to feed herself properly, doesn't even know how to listen to her bowels when she needs to let out gas, hates her own body because of whatever, that energy and that interaction, she, or it could be nanny or, or grandpa or whoever, but that interaction that an adult has with themselves will inevitably transfer to how they treat that little, that little one. Mm-hmm. And then, so what happens is that little one is this pure human that is just looking for that co-regulation. The little human is looking for that I feel my aggression, like someone play with me. And I start to, you know, pound mom's tummy or or stomach, pull on her hair, scratch her chest. Like this is my energy. And if the parent is like, your little monster, stop hurting me. We're not supposed to hurt mommy. That little one's energy and life force energy gets shut down. It gets mistaken for they're trying to hurt me. I can guarantee you a six month old is not trying to hurt their mother. They're feeling their sympathetic is coming on board that fight energy is coming on board. And so again, I like to talk about that one because it's often missed Hmm. and it's so subtle. And a lot of human beings who are struggling right now and as adults don't understand why they have this lack of pushing forward of, of setting boundaries of asking for what they need, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they get stomped on, walked all over. They have tons of resistance and it can be, Um, when we really look at it, trace back to that initial impulse of I want my aggression out, but then no one is there to meet me and it gets shut down. And so while that little human is immature, they're also unconsciously very smart Mm -hmm. because what that little baby realizes, oh, this big person isn't, isn't connecting to me when I show this thing or when I cry. So I'm just going to stop expressing these natural emotions, this energy, this life force energy. Um, When I cry, no one shows up, right? And so when they start to realize over time, no one's showing up, I'm just going to stop crying. I'm going to stop expressing. And so those emotions, which are really sensations, start to get suppressed and they're connected with that fight flight right? Baby cries. It's because something's not right. They're hungry. They're tired. They just, they're cold or they're too hot. And if it doesn't get soothed, they, their fight flight. So I'm trying to bring it back to that autonomic nervous system, their discomfort, their anxiety, their survival chemistry, adrenaline, cortisol pumping out. They start to realize I'm just going to shut this down. But under that shutdown, under that freeze, the fight flight energy is still living there. It doesn't just go away. Mm. It gets stomped. And so you take someone like that, typically if a little one is being treated 
And usually parents, and I'll be very clear, they're not doing it maliciously. They just don't know because they it's not something that is innate and organic in the current human society. You go to tribes, you go to third world countries. Yes, that's more connected there. Um, but in our more westernized, industrialized, medicalized society where everything has to be in its own perfect place, we miss that nuance. And so you take that little one who's probably had that more than once happen over years, over those first, first few years of life where they're, they're um, building that healthy nervous system, autonomic nervous system. You have a little one that's then a child, a teenager, blah, 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 preteen, adult. And then they are doing okay in the world, but there's this edge. There's this, I can't soothe myself. Mm-hmm. And this is where we see behavioral issues. This is where we see addiction. This is where we have chronic anxiety. But some people may have had that upbringing and they actually are pretty good. They can engage. They figured out how to override the the scary stuff because mm-hmm. it's just been what they've known. This was me, right? Mm-hmm. I had a really solid upbringing, but there were little things that weren't quite there. Um, and so I was really good at shutting it down and freezing it. But what occurs is that we get older and we actually, I remember how I said that the autonomic nervous system is also responsible for the gut, the immune system, cardiovascular. So some people will have health problems that, that we don't think are related to that fight, flight, freeze, but they are. So someone might have a gut problem. Someone might get an autoimmune condition. Someone might have chronic pain. Someone might get into a car accident and they walk away. And even though it was the tiniest fender bender, their whole life is like a shamble. They end up with chronic anxiety. They don't want to leave the house. They have phobia. Their skin starts to break out in an autoimmune rash. Like all these things occur And they think it's something specific to that accident when really it could be traced back to there was a lot of disconnection and not enough safety growing up and co-regulation to give them self-regulation. And that's why the system kind of falls apart when they're 30 or 20. We're seeing, sadly, I'm seeing more people who are younger having those reactions, whereas when I would have been in my 20s, you would on, almost only see that level of severe chronic illness in people like 50 and over, but we're seeing it younger and younger is wow. what I've been seeing. Wow. So, so your question was around, I can't even remember yeah. anymore, but it was, I hope that, it was, that, that makes sense. I mean, that is so fascinating. Like everything you're saying, I'm just like drinking it in like a sponge because yeah. it's so interesting. And I think it's so, I mean, I didn't really, I've never thought of it in that way. Of course, I know that a baby is so dependent on the people that they're around, but I've never really thought about it, how you are intrinsically connected. It's almost like this symbiotic relationship where you're two organisms acting as one, two beings having that one connection. I mean, it's so fascinating and, and it really is illuminating for this next generation of people who are having kids now to have this awareness and understanding that do what feels natural, let yourself be in tune, like really be there for that connection, allow that healthy expression, pay attention because it's so different than a lot of the things, you know, like when a baby cries and people tell them, oh, they need to self suits. So just let them cry in their crib for hours until they get over it. And it seems like that's like one of the most damaging things you could do for that self-regulation. A hundred percent. It's completely, it's completely draconian. It's barbaric. Yeah. And it's really interesting because 
I don't even know where that be interesting to look at the history. When did that come in? Yeah. Right. Because in, even in tribal culture, when babies are just with their mother all the time, they're on their backs, they're Mm -hmm. on their fronts while they're carrying water, while they're pounding um, grain, like they're moving, they're, they're, they're part of the rhythm of life. They're never left alone in a crib. They're never left alone to sleep in a room by themselves. Mm-hmm. But if you've ever had a, a, a baby, um, a, you know, a kitten or a puppy, you can't leave that young animal in a room alone. Yeah. It will not have it. It yeah. will cry. And, and so we, why is it that we think that we can do that with the human animal? Right. Like we, we give the human animal baby too much um, they're still really immature. They're immature right. human animals. Now you and I, like us, we're adults and yes, we're very complex, but at that level, they are so innocent and so immature and they mm-hmm. need that connection. Yeah. But the cry, yeah. The crying it out is an interesting one. Um, and the other one that's interesting is things like tummy time where mm-hmm. their t- people are told to put their babies on their stomachs, like during the first week. And I've talked to so many moms who have done that. And there's usually two, two sides. One, they do it and they hear the the deafening cries of this child who feels so trapped because they don't have the muscular strength to get off of their stomach if they're just put there on the floor. And many moms will say, yeah, I couldn't stand the cries. It was just painful to my heart. So I stopped like I did it once and then that was it. And then I've talked to some moms who have done that and they've left the baby there because the doctor said this is what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Now, it's not her fault. It's that she most likely, and I'm being very general here, is disconnected from her inner knowing mm-hmm. because of her own trauma. And like, we got to follow the rules or else I'm going to get in trouble. Right. And that lack of connection is just so rampant right now. And yet, if you leave a child, not leave them, but if you let them be on their back, an infant, I should say, and you let them explore with, of course, safety around them, you don't want all sorts of weird things around them. But if you let them move and see and you engage with them, and I actually have a video um, that I can send to you. We've tracked a baby over a year, filmed her every month watching her find that natural development to come up to her stomach on her own so she could push up and then go into crawling. And so the natural uh, the natural sequencing of how a human learns how to walk, it's written in our DNA. Mm. It's all there. And we try to meddle with it. You know, mm-hmm. we try to hold them up too soon with their hands and walk and we put them in walkers and jolly jumpers and all these things that really, those are not in the tribes. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not in the forest. Like, The kids are just with the ground, exploring and finding their way up naturally. Of course, now, if a child is is, um, neurologically damaged for whatever reason, in utero or at birth, we see this with cerebral palsy, for example, then you might need to help them a little bit. Mm -hmm. But again, the treatments and the therapy to help them in a way that's very organic is very important as opposed to like harsh treatments that try to strengthen their muscles. Mm-hmm. Like there's this way of actually teaching a child with a neurological deficit, how to find that natural kind of organic way of moving. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what my first uh, training in the Feldenkrais method is all about. Um, anyway, that was a bit of a tangent, but you were right, yeah. Dana, like yeah. the, the, the human system is so precious and yeah. so immature when we are born and, 
Um, I do think, and I'm seeing more and more people who are wanting to figure out their own stuff so that when mm-hmm. they do have their offspring, they're not passing on that trauma. Yes. Um, and of course, not everyone's there yet, but there's more of it. Yeah. Right. There's more of it now, which is really, really cool to see. Mm-hmm. I love it. And you, I'm hearing over and over again, this word natural, what we, what we do naturally. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it's a huge theme in human design is, um, mm-hmm. we have this inner knowing that's guiding us and we're supposed to really listen individually to what we're being guided to do by our body, by what feels natural. Mm-hmm. And the problem is our mind is so powerful. It's taking in the conditioning from the world around us and it's overriding writing what feels natural. And a lot of us have broken the trust of how to just listen to ourselves, how to do what feels natural, because we're so afraid and we're so wrapped up in our conditioning by what someone who's an authority outside of us, someone who's an expert, someone who knows better than we do is -hmm. telling us what to do. And we really suffer because we feel that inner knowing that we're ignoring it. And, and you can kind of feel that sense of you're not in alignment. You're not really where you're supposed to be. So a lot of what we're doing in human design is basically training your mind to let go so that you can listen to that inner knowing so that you can do what actually feels natural to you. And that ends up bringing you guiding you where you're meant to be in alignment. And so it seems really interesting. Like if you are healthy and you have a really good self self-regulating system, ability to self-soothe, then you do have this natural, like just do what feels natural. Really listen to yourself, let yourself do what you feel called to do from your body instead of closing yourself down and thinking in your mind, well, an expert in a white coat told me to do this. And even though it feels awful and weird, I'm forcing myself. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, no, it's 100%. And I'll add to that. The one interesting thing with the nervous system is that if you think about that, that those the first three years are really important, because that's when the vagus nerve is starting to be part of the vagus nerve that does the self regulation, and the self soothing is being built, it isn't built, it's there, but it's not fully scaffolded, if Mm -hmm. I use that as a word, like it's not fully myelinated. And so if we think about those first few years that are 100%, um, they're not cognitive, they're pre-verbal, they're not mind-based. And so if we actually were not allowed to express our healthy aggression, if we cried and no one was there, and so we learned how to shut down our tears, all the things, or if we watched mom or dad who were either numb emotionally, so we never got that juicy goodness, or they were... um, explosive with violence. That's another, you know, swing of the pendulum where, oh, I can't show healthy aggression because that was in my house and it was terrifying, for example. So when we are born into that that soup, everything at the beginning is pre-verbal and it's somatic. And this is where adults get into trouble when they think it's in the mind, because you said the mind, And this is where this nervous system work is a little different because a lot of people have tried to change these deep habits with cognitive behavioral change, with journaling, with affirmations, with mind-based protocols. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? You sent me these questions and I printed them out. So I look at them. I'm using my brain, my mind, got to-do lists so I don't forget to do things around the house. That's all very important. But at this deep level of say self-sabotage or not knowing how to be with our body or resistance or getting into toxic relationships or having chronic illness. And a person's like, God, I think that was me. I think I was that baby that wasn't handled well. Um, We have to get into the deeper cellular aspect because it's completely unconscious. It's not even subconscious. 
And um, that's where the nervous system is interesting because it's kind of this frontier that has been the last thing tapped because it is the most unconscious. Whereas we we started with like the higher brain, let's try to analyze like good old Freud and Jung, let's try to analyze the thoughts and all these things. And then we got a bit more into breath work and working at that level of the physiology. I'm just picking out a few of them. Um, mindfulness, you know, just noticing what's there and trying to get rid of it. And then, and, and then we're like, okay, how come all these people are doing all these things that are really supposedly good and they're still in chronic anxiety patterns or they still have gut problems or they still keep getting into really shitty relationships even though they're setting their intention. If the intention is still only mind-based and cognitive-based and even emotional-based, if it's not at that deeper gut level, it kind of misses the mark, if that makes sense. So I just wanted to add that in there because I've worked with so many people that like I've done all the mind stuff um, and it's still not hitting home, if that makes sense. Yeah, it really does. And it's it's so fascinating to me because in the last year or so, I've been really um, reading a lot of books and interested in, you know, how does our physical body and our subconscious, like our nervous system actually take on pain and trauma and mm -hmm. how do we overcome that? Because human design is really talking about your energetic body and what your yes. life purpose is and what you're here to, how you're here to use your energy to accomplish your goals and your dreams and to live your purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. But this trauma that I want to say 90% of all humans have experienced oh, 99. from 99.9. Yeah. I was going to go. Okay. Right there and say yeah. It. Everyone <laughs> has this trauma from such yeah. a young age. I mean, I can't think of one person that, you know, didn't have at least anybody. one of the things that you've mentioned. Mm -hmm. So my question is, you know, okay, if this is at such a cellular level and it is subconscious and it's in our body, it's trauma that's in our body. And you see all these people that are coming around thirties or late twenties that are having this kind of, holy shit, I don't know how to function. And I feel like I'm breaking down and yeah. it's out of my control. How, what is like the first place to start? Because mm -hmm. obviously all of those tactics that you just talked about with mindfulness and breath work, like I love breath work yeah. and it's helped me in right. so many ways, but I'm now feeling like, okay, something on my <laughs> cellular level that uh -huh. is not conscious how do I access that? Where do you, where does someone start there? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, I think one of the first places to start is with curiosity. There has to be a real, it's not even a deep desire, just a little inkling of a sliver of, I think I might want to know more about this, right? Because um, if we don't have that little bit of curiosity and that little bit of self-starting, energy because this journey that I'm, I'm about to describe kind of in a very Cole's note cliff notes kind of way it's intense because if you think about it we're unearthing not just feelings and sensations but survival energies that we shut down pre-verbally because we were terrified as an infant that's like big stuff and so this is why I'm always a bit more um, slow in that, okay, be curious, number one. Number two, education. Education is so important. 
because of our higher brain and our mind, wherever the mind is, we still don't really know, do we? Like it's somewhere out there in the Akashic records or somewhere in our nervous system. God only knows it's somewhere. We know it's there. So it's like the mind and the higher complexity and kind of that, um, I want to try to figure it out brain. We need to give it a dose of like water. It's like, okay, we need to tell this part of ourselves that actually, yeah, this is the system. These are the, the nerves. This is how the system works. This is maybe what happened when you were young. Maybe this didn't happen. This is what happens when we shut down. So really kind of in-depth understanding of the nervous system so that when we do start to do um, the motor sensory practices, which I will talk about, and we start reorienting back to the environment, with some, some things that are so simple, you might not think that anything will happen when you do them, but you have to have that education on board so that when you go into these practices and that memory comes up that you have totally forgotten about or didn't even know was there, or that body pain or tears, when that starts to come out out of nowhere, the system, the brain, the mind isn't saying something's wrong. And we have been so good as humans during kind of the whole kind of last hundred years of like, if something feels not normal or different, it must be something bad. Therefore, I'm going to try to get rid of it. Right. And sometimes that's true. Like if you have a broken bone and it's in pain, you go to the hospital and you get it fixed. Right. Like there's, there are certain things that, that, that would say, okay, you got to get that fixed. Very important. But there's a lot of sensations, a lot of qualities in the human system that we have suppressed so deeply that they're so foreign to us. And um, some people are like, oh, I was doing this exercise, Irene, and all of a sudden I felt this tingle down my spine. Like, do I, am I I having a stroke? Like, I'm like, nope. (laughs) Like, that's probably part of your system releasing some freeze that is not like something that you can see. It's something that you feel, sense, but it also can come out um, with a movement. It can come out with a memory. It can come out with so many things. And the one thing that we've gotten into trouble with with the trauma world that I've seen is people think that healing trauma and releasing it is about shaking. And that's completely inaccurate. Some things require that kind of shaking, but we want it to happen organically. We don't want to push the system to shake because it'd be like trying to force a child how to, to, to read or write before they're ready. We've seen this when we try to do that. It doesn't work. They get frustrated. They hate it. And then they never want to read or write again. Like it has to come slowly and organically. So curiosity, number one, a desire. Number two, education. And then if I think about some of the baseline things that I teach my students when they work with me online is we have to learn how to reorient to the current moment. So trauma takes us out of the current moment. Being in survival stress puts us into full physiological like disaster, like something bad's going to happen. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. No one's to be trusted. And I got to hide or I got to run or I have to fight, right? So when we are in that soup, in that nervous system fight flight soup, we don't know right up from down or right from left. We don't know that we're driving down the highway 
this is how so many accidents happen. People just get taken out of the moment. Um, we don't realize we're crossing the street and there's a car coming. You know that classic example? People are like, you know, like if a bus is coming to you and you, you jump out of the way, that's what the fight flight. It's like, well, rarely people, that rarely happens, right? Because if we're alert, we're not going to jump in front of a bus. We're going to hear it coming. We're going to feel the change in the air and the sound, right? Granted, of course, we're not plugged into something. Um, so we're going to look both ways as we were supposed to have been taught when we were young. That's not only literal, it's metaphoric. And so reorienting, it's called orienting, is a very key component to starting this work. And humans and mammals, we have two types of orienting responses. One is exploratory, like I'm looking out at the sky, looking at some bamboo on my deck, there's a plant there, my kitchen's there, paintings. Like, if you're listening to this, you can take a second and just, well, obviously you're listening. If you want to play with this, if you look around your environment and just take a moment to take in what's there, not in a way that's like harsh or an exercise, but just gentle curiosity to your surroundings and you move your head and you look around that brings us into the here and now in an external way that's good. When we're, again, put into a traumatic survival stress situation, we lose orientation to what's around us. So because we go into what's called defensive orienting. So if um, a ball comes through my window right now, which has never happened, but let's just say I'll like be startled and alerted and I'll look to that ball and I might actually cover my face to not let it hit me. And so that is an immediate autonomic response to threat coming towards me. It could be a car, it could be a person, it could be someone's hand coming to hit us, all those things. So if that's coming towards me, my system is going to go into a reflexive defensive orienting. So many of us don't even realize how often we defensively have oriented in the past, but we maybe weren't allowed to do it properly. Or when we did do it, we didn't come out of it. One of the more classic examples of that would be someone who's say attacked, you know, whether it's a rape or a physical attack and they realize I can't fight, I can't flee, I better shut down. And so they go frozen, but their defense mechanisms to want to hit and fight and scratch and run are trapped in their body. So one of the, again, back to my third piece is reorienting and getting back that orienting um, piece that is exploratory can actually help over time start to pry out the defensive orienting responses that weren't properly executed, going a little deeper with that. Um, so some of those primary um, lessons, I call them neurosensory exercises that I teach, are really basic, but when the energy and intention is taught with the nervous system in mind and this understanding of the science and the person doing the lesson, the audio lesson, that's how I teach them, have done a bit of theory, they're curious, a really interesting kind of fusion of those three things comes together and something as simple as just asking someone to look outside or look a little left or right or at their hands can actually be powerful. 
And true story, uh, someone just uh, acquaintance did one of my courses a little while ago, and she thought that the lesson, um, I don't know if you know any French, but she said it's banal. She's French Canadian. Banal being stupid. Like, like, this is stupid. Like, this is so stupid and simple. Like, you're just getting me to look around my living room. There's nothing here. There's no threat. But as she started to do it, she started to feel anxiousness. She started to feel fight flight. She's like, there's nothing around me that's coming to attack me. I'm like, I know, <laughs> but it's because you're, you're bringing in the education, you know, you're in this thing with me learning about your nervous system. You've learned that orienting is important, but it also can be defensive. Um, and so your system is like, it's like dropping into the bomb, but in a good way to unearth these old things. So orienting is a big one. And then the, the next thing, and there's many, um, but the next more, one of the more important ones is learning to follow our impulse. And by that, I mean our biological impulse. So if you think about the baby example I gave, you know, when they need to go to the bathroom, they go, they don't ask. Right. Um, but as we get older, our, our societal, cultural, domesticated living makes it so you only can go to the bathroom when it's recess, or you can only go to the bathroom when there isn't another person. I'm thinking about like kindergarten and grade one, you know, you can't just go, you have to ask permission. So already there, your biological impulse to pee or poop or let out gas, or I'm hungry at 10 o'clock, I can't wait till 12. And then the teacher's saying, no, you're not hungry. You'll fine. Wait for another two hours. That's completely disjointed, right? And so those impulses of needing to, you know, evacuate our bowels, our urine, thirst, hunger, cool, cold, hot, um, fatigue, energy, like I need to go for a walk, but I'm not supposed to until four o'clock because that's when the workday ends. Like those impulses are there, but we become engineered to forget and to not listen to them and so the other portion of healing really deep old traumas believe it or not is starting to get back into those impulses because a lot of people it's just so funny to me they want to go to these big work weekend workshops where they like hit a bunch of pillows with a baseball bat and get all their deepest traumas out in four days and we're going to cure you. It's complete bogus because if those individuals don't even know how to listen to that subtlety, I can guarantee you what comes out is not going to be integrated. The trauma releases aren't going to be organic and they're going to be fake. And I'm sure there's some exceptions. If someone's done a lot of pre-work, a lot of foundational work, and then they go to one of those retreats, I have no doubt. They might have a real natural letting go of whatever it is. But most people go into those things pretty, pretty green. They wouldn't even stop to think, oh, do I actually go pee when I need to? You know, if someone is is if someone eats when they're not hungry, then to me, that's like, oh, you still got to work on that. Or if you, you know, negate thirst when you're thirsty or all those things. So impulses from a biological level are really important. And then the deeper work I do with my students is working with the actual like somatic movements, like touch, connection to the organs, like the gut, the adrenals, the brainstem, um, all of the pieces in the body that go on alert 
when we are in a fight, flight, freeze um, soup, so to speak. Yeah. And, you know, so people often think, oh, trauma's in the body. It's like, well, what does that mean? I was like, well, it's in the whole system. It just right. depends on how we've micromanaged it. Some people keep it all in their gut. Some people it goes into the reproductive organs and then they have trouble there. Some people it's um, the heart, you know, heart problems, anxiety, blood pressure. Some people it's more mental. Some people it's just relational. That it's so all these really interesting things. So Dana, beautiful. You had a well, I was just going to mm-hmm. say first and foremost, with the light of awareness, very mm-hmm. simple things are so transformational because yes. simple is not easy, right? No. Simple is like the holy grail for us of healing of everything that we're doing. But I wanted to ask you, we hear somatics coming into as like a buzzword so much. And can you kind of just define that for us, what it really means? Yeah. Um, well, soma means body in Greek. Mm. Um, so like if you were to go to a, uh, anatomy textbook and look at a nerve cell, like the, the body, we would call that the soma and then the rest of it, but just means body. And so, you know, I've been trained in one thing, which is called somatic experiencing. That's the work of Peter Levine. Um, I've also been trained in another kind of work called somatic practice, which is the work of Kathy Kane, who is also one of Peter Levine's somatic experiencing colleagues. So that word somatic is just like thrown out there. And then there's somatics, which is another form of work that was uh, bred from the Feldenkrais work, which is more kind of a specific movement patterns to go into certain autonomic responses. It's kind of a, a gray zone right now because if we th- I always compare it to medicine, you guys. Like medicine is a pretty specific practice. You know, if, you, if you've studied medicine, it probably means you're a doctor. You've gone to medical school. You've done four years of undergrad. You've done four years of intense medical school. You've done your post, you know, your, your residency. You might specialize. There is no equivalent at all in the somatic world of healing trauma. And this is like another conversation, but um, there's nothing. And so we're at a really weird spot right now where people like me who've been in this work for 20 years and some of my colleagues in their 60s, way more than me, we're kind of, we find the teachers, we're like creating our own somatic healing degree, medical degree, I say that with air quotes, by seeking out really good teachers. So if you meet someone who's really good at working with the nervous system at the somatic level, they have like 10 trainings under their belt. Rarely will someone with one training be great unless they're really gifted and they're an old soul. Very rarely. My husband's like that. He did one training with Essie and he was like out to the races. Most people don't have that that skill. And he had shamanic work before that. So he had already some stuff, but, um, it's kind of a gray zone. I'll be really honest. It's not like medicine. And so there's a lot of people who are doing really good work and are very educated and have a really strong code of ethics and a do no harm. And they're doing their own work. And then there's a lot of people who aren't. Mm. And uh, I did a video last year, like how to find a good somatic practitioner. And I go through the important things for people to look at 
like look for when they're looking for someone. And the first thing I think on that list is make sure that the person is doing their own work. Mm. This work is very different. It's not like, like you can be a really good orthopedic surgeon and have never had a broken bone. Yeah. Right. That's true. I know that because I've had those surgeries before, but you can't do this work if you haven't gone to the depths back and front Mm -hmm. and back with your own healing. And that's one of the biggest important ones. Um, So I wish there was a way to define that, Dana. Mm -hmm. There isn't Mm -hmm. because it's still so embryonic, this work. Mm -hmm. My desire is to put in place a kind of training that is like the medical school Mm -hmm. of of this world because it's kind of the Wild West right now. Yeah. And there are people who are claiming to be trauma therapists and somatic therapists who have done no more than a weekend workshop. Mm. And it's actually really reckless um, because we're doing brain surgery, essentially. Yeah. Right. We're, we're, we're working. I say that with quotes, but we're working with a deep, unconscious physiological system that is very delicate and when gone off can put a person into severe autoimmune dysfunction suicide, mental illness, psychiatric break, Mm -hmm. all sorts of things. And um, it's unfortunate that I think this is supposed to happen. I'm sure medicine was the same way when people were starting to cut open people and figure out how to treat medical stuff. Like it was probably the Wild West back then too, right? So we're kind Mm -hmm. of at this beginning. I don't think we've even tapped the level of somatic healing that is possible. And then you put in the metaphysical and all the other pieces Mm -hmm. that we can't actually even see energetically. And then it gets really exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It's crazy. So for people that are listening, you know, that are like, well, I've had a shitty childhood or I've had a Mm -hmm. lot of trauma, you know, is there hope for me? (laughs) How do I even, you know what I mean? You've touched on like the things that you can do, but with somatic healing, like, mm-hmm. have you seen in the work that you've done and in the work that you've done for yourself, that healing actually having long-term um, progress hundred percent within your body, within your physical body? Oh, yeah. yeah, we've got, I mean, all you have to do is go and read the stories, but we've had people get off of um, diabetes medications, thyroid medications, leave relationships, fall in love, become better parents. Um you know, find jobs that they love, um, severe fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, grief. I mean, it's, we have to remember that the system actually wants to be regulated. It doesn't want to be stuck in that mode. But when we've only known that, is it a walk in the park to figure this out? No, but it can be done. And from my experience, it has to be done in a very titrated, foundationally layered way so that you're not throwing someone right into the deep end and saying, okay, shake out all your trauma. Because when you do that, there hasn't been a solid ground built. And that, um, from what I've seen in my experience, is what is often lacking. And so when I work with my folks, we're not, I'm not asking anyone what kind of trauma they've had. It never is asked. Um, We're not setting a timer for we have to get this done in this amount of time. It really is how can we build capacity in the system and the impulses and how you connect to the somatic system, the movements, orienting, all these things um, so that the capacity and the health is restored. And when that occurs, 
that's when the traumas start to come up and they start to process. But because there's been so much groundwork done, when that intense image of being raped at age 10 comes up, yes, it feels like a roller coaster, but you know, oh my God, this is my medicine. Like it's coming up and out. And now I can process this and fully get it out and scream and, and kick and cry and do the things I need to do to get this out as opposed to let's work on that attack, right? It's like, it's allowing the system to bring up what it needs to when it can. And when it goes that way, when it's organic that way, it's like, it's like planting a garden, mm-hmm. you know, it's a big hot topic right now. You know, you, you, you can't, well, you can, but you shouldn't force growing. It should be done organically with solid, healthy soil with lots of worms and lots of nutrients and all the good you know, things in there so that you just need to give it some water and a little sun and it starts to come up in its own time. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is sort of what I'm looking at when I work with my people. So yes, people can definitely heal big stuff. The main piece, which might be a good piece to end on is people not only have to believe that they can heal, they have to believe that they deserve it. Mm. That, yes. that hits. <laughs> If they were taught as a little one that they, uh, if there were conditions on love, if there were conditions on you get this, if you get this grade or you're not good enough, you know, the toxic shaming, it can even be subtle stuff. If that hasn't been looked at, there might be a very strong part of us that doesn't feel that we even deserve utopic living, Mm. right? We keep ourselves small. We self-sabotage because it's just like, well, this is never going to happen because, and then that's where victimhood comes in. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And it's like, yep, that stuff happened and you got this potential. Do you want it? And it's this constant play of like, I want it. And then part of you might be like, no, you don't deserve it, but you have to keep, it's like a, a bank account. You need to keep it in the positive mm-hmm. when you're doing this. Yeah. Work. Yeah. So I'm sure that this has sparked so much curiosity mm-hmm. in a lot of people listening. So where can people go to connect with your work and mm-hmm. find out more information? Just my name. It's Irene, Irene, I can't spell my own name. <laughs> I-R-E-N-E, um, Lion, L-Y-O-N. Uh, it's like the animal, but not spelt like the animal, like the town in France. Mm-hmm. Um, .com. And when you get there, there's a lot of stuff, but there's resources there's my courses. You can read more about me. There's YouTube channel, all that stuff. Beautiful. Amazing. And I want to say, I am so, so deeply inspired by listening to you and hearing the things that you're sharing. And I'm really, really grateful for you and the work that you're putting out into the world because we just feel so deeply like we are shifting. We are creating this new earth. Like it is time to really understand these deeper things that matter and that we can empower Mm -hmm. ourselves and we can really make change. And like you were saying, it's really important for leaders and guides to be stepping up who are considerate and who have integrity and who have deep reverence and responsibility for what we're, for what we're changing and how we're shifting. And that piece about things being gentle and natural and in natural attunement is mm-hmm. so important. You know, there's so many things that you're going to see on the market, like take this pill and watch things that happen overnight. And yeah. it really is this like subtle 
reshifting into this natural alignment that that takes time and consideration and you're worth it. And anyone listening um, that yeah. that feels that call, like there's so many modalities that can help you. And this really yeah. seems so exciting. Like I'm obsessed with it. I'm going to go on your website literally Great. after we hang up Same. and check out your courses. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for sharing this with us. And welcome. I'm really grateful to see this, this education being brought into the world. Yeah, it's important. Um, and the one thing I will say is I'm still all for a good therapy session mm-hmm. or a good osteopath session or massage or going and getting your toenails done or, or going to a weekend workshop. All that stuff is still stuff that I do. But from my experience with my, my people and my students and my colleagues, when we have this, it's almost like learning the language. You first have to learn the language and then you can go out into the world and use it. Right. And so when you have this knowledge inside and this this attunement to your sensations and your needs and your boundaries, you can go to that acupuncture session and get more out of it because you're tracking your energies and you're able to say, I don't can you just wait, pause, I need to wait for that to right. Whereas if we didn't have that education, we're like, oh, well, they're the boss. They're just going to put these needles in me and I'm going to be intense. And I'm going to, you know, I'm using that because it's a great example because some mm-hmm. people don't think yeah. that they can ask their acupuncturist, for example, can you just wait? I just need to feel that because sometimes they'll just mm-hmm. put them right in you. Right. Mm-hmm. But by yeah. actually recognizing that, whether it's that or a massage or whatever, it's like, or going to the dentist uh, sounds odd, but people actually enjoy going to the dentist when they get this work because mm-hmm. they can advocate for the, the time that it takes and they feel it and they're not tense with their hands like this. And then they're like, what the heck? Right. And then they need a massage after the, after the dentist appointment. So I say that because um, a lot of people will say, Oh, well it can't be everything. And the answer to that is no, it is not everything, but it is the foundation that allows the other things to fall into place a lot better and a lot smoother. And you'll get more integration with the other things that you might choose to do. Hope that makes yes. sense. Yes. It does. We were literally just talking about how language, giving language to something gives it power and it gives you a deeper sense of awareness and freedom. And we do that with human design, giving a language to your energetic body. And I'm so grateful for you Mm -hmm. introducing us to this other language of Mm -hmm. starting to explore within our own nervous system and our physical body and now getting curious about somatics and all of this type of healing within our bodies. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And everyone listening, go check out Irene lion. Dot com mm-hmm. and see what sparks your, your healing and your curiosity. Yay. So thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a fascinating conversation for us. We're super excited to be taking our life to this next level of awareness and understanding with you guys. As always, you guys know where to contact us and find our different offerings with human design. You can book a reading with Shana and I on our website, daylunalife.com. That's also where you can go to contact us and ask us any questions about any of our offerings. And also you'll be able to find all of our different 
different offerings, physical products, our boxes, our affirmation cards, our parenting cheat sheets, our essential oils, all of our physical goodies that really help you integrate human design in a more physical way into your life. You can see where you can find those on our website, daylunalife.com as well. And we are having some specials for the holiday season. If you guys are wanting to get someone, it was a personalized human design gift for the holidays. We recommend ordering it right now this week. If you're wanting it to be guaranteed delivered by your house, if you order a day Luna box or something like that for someone, we recommend ordering it by December 10th. Um, and you can go onto our Instagram at day Luna and check out, look at our highlights to see what those different um, specials are for the holiday season. We're doing 10% off of all of our day Luna boxes. So we're super excited to be able to deliver that to you guys. And as always, we are enjoying meeting you guys with readings each week, diving in, doing this work with you guys. We are creating a new earth, a new paradigm, a new way of healing. And we're so grateful to be here on the journey with you guys, wherever you are listening. I hope you're having a beautiful day. Thank you for tuning in with us.